Now we're in a study talking about the parables of Jesus, and this is our fourth week. We have three more weeks to go, um, and today we're going to focus on two of Jesus' parables in Luke 15, the first two. In the following weeks, we're going to talk about the parable of the prodigal son, and we'll probably spend the bulk of three weeks on that. So potentially we can finish that in two weeks, and if that's the case, we'll pick another parable to do on the third week. Um, but just because we haven't met in a couple weeks, I wanted to spend just two or three minutes just kind of outlining what we've talked about the previous three weeks. Um, for those of you that maybe haven't been here or forgotten, um, the first week we spent some time talking about what a parable is. We gave a, def- a working definition for that. So this is, this is all review. It's not on your notes. Um, but the first thing we said that a parable is, in defining it, is that it's a story that places one thing beside another for the purpose of teaching. It puts the known next to the unknown so that we may learn. Okay, so that's the purpose. That that is a parable defined. Um, We talked about how to interpret parables. Um, we, We said that what Jesus taught to his original hearers, those listening to what he was saying when he originally presented it, is exactly what he wants us to hear today. So it's important that we understand that. Uh, It's also important that we understand the cultural setting in which Jesus was teaching, and we'll talk about the setting behind some of the parables today, um, just so we understand that, so we can have a good understanding of what his original meaning was. We talked about that you can fall off the wagon interpreting parables in two ways. You can be right in the middle, like I hope we are, or you can fall off to the right, see them as too simple, as mere morality tales, like Aesop's fable. Or you can fall off to the left side. I don't know if that's right from the liberal conservative perspective. I'm just going with left and right. Um, and on the left side, you would say that, that every piece of information, every minute detail within the parable is something that we should delve into and identify and try to provide symbolism to. And that's kind of what they did in the Middle Ages. They delved into all the little intricacies of each of the parables, and they fell off the wagon in the sense that they didn't get the main point of the parables and what Jesus was trying to do, what he was trying to convey about the kingdom of God. So they're not allegories like Pilgrim's Progress, so we we highlighted that. We talked about the purpose of the parables that Jesus gave was both to reveal truth and to conceal truth. It was to those who had the ears to hear that he was revealing his truth to, and yet there was a segment of the people that were listening to him that he was concealing the truth to. Each of the parables, or many of the parables, have four parts. There's the story, there's the ethics, the ethical dilemma that's at play, and then there's theology and Christology, and we will see that perfectly played out in the parables of Luke 15. This is your first blank on your notes. There's a big theme in Luke 15. It's not just important to talk about a sheep that's lost, or a coin that's lost and found, or a son that's lost and found, but the reality is there's bigger than just those individual stories. It's that God has great joy when the lost are recovered. That probably does not fit in your blank. Try this. God's joy in the recovery of the lost. That's what we're trying to focus on. That's the point of chapter 15, and that's what every one of these, the three parables listed there, is highlighting. God's joy in the recovery of the lost Each of the parables in Luke 15, this is your second set of blanks, outlines something that was lost, sought, found, 
and celebrated. So you see that in each of the three parables in Luke 15. These first two parables that we're going to talk about today, which is the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, really set the stage for the third parable, which is Jesus' longest parable in his earthly ministry, which is the parable of the prodigal son. And there really are elements within each of these first two parables that we don't need to forget when we go to the third one. So this is all one discourse of Jesus' teaching that we can learn from if we take it all at its whole, not to pick and choose what we want out of each one. So let's look. I probably should open my Bible. Okay, so the last time we were together, we talked about just chapters of of Luke 15, if you could turn there, verses 1 and 2. And this kind of set the stage for what Jesus was teaching and who he was teaching to. We also talked about the last time. It would help if I get to Luke and not John. Do y'all's Bibles just fall open to John? So Luke 15. Interestingly enough, in, in chapter 14, it opened actually with Jesus dining with the, at, at the house of one of the Pharisees. And then Luke 15, though, as, he conclu- as chapter 14 concludes, there are sinners and outcasts of society that have come to Jesus. And chapter 15, verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that's Jesus. And here's what the Pharisees thought about that. It says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus, the Holy One, was representing himself. He was, you know, he was being involved with the outcasts of society, something that the Pharisees themselves would never do. And we spent a lot of time on that the last week. And that is the introduction to chapter 15 in the three parables we're going to start talking about today. The fact that the accusation the Pharisees made against Jesus was that he receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus goes in to tell them how they've missed the main point here. The main point is not to keep the law. The main point is to participate in the joy of God in seeing sinners saved and recovered. So, with that as a background, let's go ahead and read 15, the rest of, we'll read 15 verses 3 through 10, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into what we're going to talk about today. So, follow along with me in Luke 15, chapter 3. So, he told them this parable, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." The next parable is, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we are grateful to be gathered together where we can worship you, Lord, together in community, in fellowship with one another. Lord, as we gather right now before your word, Lord, I pray that it would 
um, that you would open hearts, you would open minds, Lord, um, so we can understand your truth. Lord, reveal it to us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would remove any distraction and that we would see the glory of heaven's joy when sinners come to you. Lord, I pray that our motivations would change because of this. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be um, more in step with who you are because of this study. So, Lord, we ask that you bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, what I've given you on your handout, just a brief introduction. What we're going to do here, we're not going to talk about the parable of the lost sheep and then talk about the parable of the lost coin, but instead we're going to talk about the parable, we're going to talk about different facets of both of the parables, and we're going to hit them, we're going to go from one parable to the next for that given facet, okay? So we're going to talk about the background, the characters or symbolism, story, the story and the ethics, the theology, the Christology, and then lastly the application. That is nine points on your, actually it's only six or seven, but there's... It could be nine points on there, so there's a lot of information to cover here. But bear with me, because I think this might be the most helpful way to, to, to understand the study, instead of saying, hey, let's just talk about this one parable, because there's so many similarities in both of them that we should be able to look at each of these facets of them and go from one to the other. So we're not look, it's not like we're looking at a ton of verses here. We should be able to cover this pretty easily, I think. So first, if you look at, in chapter 15, verse 4 and verse 8, Okay, so those both are the introductory statements to uh, the parables. So, verse 4 starts with what, verse 8 starts with what, or what. What does that tell you? From If it starts with what, it's probably going to be a question. Yes, very good. So, Jesus first... Um, asks a question to introduce both of his parables. So the first question is, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And the other one, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? So Jesus asks a question. Um, I don't think he's expecting an answer um, this is kind of a rhetorical question, because everybody should know, if you lose a sheep, you should go find the sheep, okay? We'll get into that a little bit, but the same thing, if you lose a coin, look for it, right? So there's, I mean, this is something, he's appealing to the fact that everybody should know the right ethical or moral or way they should respond to this question. Um, both, remember Jesus' audience here, I think that's one of your blanks, is both Pharisees, or the religious leaders, and the outcasts of society, the sinners, the tax collectors. The, that's the group that he's talking to right here. So, each of those groups, the sinners or the Pharisees, would know what the correct response is in, that, in this story. But Jesus' point here is to tell them a familiar story or a story that's familiar to them from their normal life in order to draw them in. He wants to put them in the place of the man who lost the sheep or the woman who lost the coin. That's his goal here. He's wanting them to experience this, and surely they have some experience in some way similar to this. That's his goal here. So both of these stories Jesus tells to the crowds, they're very simple. They're not complex in any way. They both agreed on what the characters, that the characters responded correctly and what they did. 
Yet Jesus drives home a penetrating point after he draws them in, and especially the Pharisees get trapped in the application. So that's what happens as he goes through the story towards the end. So let's talk a little bit about the background for both of these stories. First, in general, for both of the stories, this about the culture, this is village life, okay? You guys have been to, some, many of you guys that I see in the crowd have been to Africa or some other place, and some of you have been to places in Africa where there are villages. That's what this is like. It's very close proximity. It's dirt roads, dirt floors in people's houses, no windows, no one door into a house. People living in community. They lived together. They shared their lives. This is village life, okay? That's important for us to understand. In particular, for the, the setting for the lost sheep, there's a couple things we need to understand. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the shepherd-sheep relationship since our pastor is about to delve into that a ton and has already started doing that. But let's talk about what is particular to this parable. First off, there's a hundred sheep in this um, fold of sheep, um, and these sheep probably belong to several different families of the village. There's highly, this is village life. This is not a nomadic shepherd out in the middle of no, nowhere, okay? This is village shepherd. These are sheep that belong to people in a village, most likely, because that is where Jesus is speaking. So this is not a nomadic or Bedouin type of existence for the shepherd and the sheep. But rather, there's a hundred sheep that most likely belonged collectively by the village. Everybody had their own individual sheep, but they all hired, most likely, shepherds that would be able to manage these sheep. In village life, the most that one family, a pretty well-off family, would have would be about 15 sheep. But many of the families would only have just a few sheep. Okay, so this is just a few. There's a possibility that this sheep represents one-third of somebody's flock. But the village would put, their, put together their resources so they'd have lower costs, um, and they would hire men actually in the village to be the shepherds. Okay, so it wasn't like they hired people on the outside. Um, there's a thing about shepherds that we'll get into in a minute. I keep wanting to get ahead of myself because I have a lot of good information there. But these sheep probably went out each day with the leadership of their shepherds to graze, and they returned each night to the sheep pen. Um, more than one shepherd probably was involved with overseeing this flock. Something, somebody had to watch the 99 as the shepherd left for the one. Most likely two or three shepherds. What do we know, need to know about the background setting of the lost coin? Um, this, again, is village life. Life in the village is dirty. Dirty roads, dirty floors, dust everywhere. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, Emily and I and our kids went to Uganda to visit Jen and Damon. And it was interesting that the pride that people took in the dirt around their, their huts, they, they had these really nice handmade brooms, and they would sweep their dirt. And so dirt can be, you can have clean dirt and dirty dirt, apparently. And it was very interesting. I, I really respected the fact that they made it look really nice. Um, but dust is everywhere, and that's important to think about as we think about the woman in the lost coin searching for the coin and trying to find it within her home. Um, another thing about the, the lost coin is money was used differently than it is today. For the most part, society at that time was built on the bartering system. We're trading things. We're trading up my services for something. I might be trading the wool of my sheep for food, or I might be trading something else that I possess. So it's not like, ca it wasn't a cash-based system 
or a monetary as in the, in the form of money like we use today. A lot more bartering was going on. So there was real value to 10 coins because um, there was not as much demand for money. So there was a limited supply of it. Uh, so money was rare. Uh, it was possible that the 10 coins, which were represented, each coin represented probably a day's wage, a denarius, or the Greek drachma, and it could have even represented this woman's dowry that was given to her either by her husband or her um, father when she got married. Uh, we don't know that, doesn't say that particularly, but it could be that. So just important things for us to understand about the background. So let's talk about the characters that are involved in this before we get into the story so there's obviously a couple characters in the story of the lost sheep. We've got sheep, because that's who's lost, and we have a shepherd. So let's talk about shepherds, and these shepherds in particular. Um, interesting that the scriptures don't say that it is a shepherd. They don't say the word shepherd, if you look through the text here. It just says a man among you who's lost a sheep. Any man that's tending to a hundred sheep is a shepherd, even though this text doesn't clearly tell us that. Um, it's just obvious by that. Um, the symbolism here for the shepherd, though, is that it represents God, and the sheep represent the lost sinner. And the Pharisees, in their methods to make sure everybody was clean and following the law, did not highly esteem shepherds in the culture of the day. Um, even though they would have been very familiar with Psalm 23. They would have known that David was a shepherd. They would have known that Moses at one point was a shepherd in his life. They did not esteem the position of shepherd, um, and they often saw them as being of the acceptable occupations at the lowest of society, okay? They're not out there with the outcasts, the tax collectors, the sinners, but they're right just above them in the system of society. They did not find shepherds to be um, the best group of people in society. And one of the reasons that is, is shepherds had a job that didn't cease. You can't take off Sunday and not care for sheep. You have to take them somewhere, right? They have to go out and graze. They can't just stay in the sheep pen all day. So shepherds, a lot of times, were not able to participate in some of the ceremonial things that the Pharisees did, especially with the Sabbath. So, Shepherds were considered to be the lowest of the acceptable professions. Um, a lot of times they were viewed as dishonest. And this is why a community would hire somebody from within the community to be the shepherd, because they had a vested interest in making sure that the shepherds, um, if you were hired from the community, you cared about what happens to these sheep. If you're from the outside, you didn't care. Um, and you can, if you turn to John 10, real quick, we can see... And Dan will get to this, I'm sure. But if you look at John 10, 10. I don't think that's the right text here. Oh, 12. It says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So you can see that the hirelings were not trustworthy in Jesus' time. And that being the case, a lot of times the village hired shepherds um, from within the village. The Pharisees had no dealings with them. They feared that they would be polluted by their uncleanness, 
Remember we talked about two weeks ago how the Pharisees kept themselves separated from the sinners and the tax collectors and the outcasts of society, and they would be afraid that they would be polluted just by associating themselves with them. The same is with these shepherds. Okay, and there's one goal that the shepherds have, not to lose sheep. Okay, take the sheep out, bring the sheep back. That's your goal. So the fact that this one sheep goes astray means this, these, this group of shepherds or this one shepherd has definitely failed in what um, he's called to do. So that's what we know about these shepherds. What do we know about sheep? Which we know in this, in this uh, text, it represents the sinner. A sheep has real value for the family that owns it. It provides wool for clothing, and some people use this to trade for food and other necessities. However, generally speaking, sheep are stupid. They are helpless and hopeless. And did you know that when sheep become afraid, they just kind of stop moving, lie down, and they die? And if at one point, if a sheep lays down and at one point rolls over to a certain degree, they can't get back up on their own. It's like they, there's some biological... I'm not smart with science. I really hate science, even though I love answers in Genesis. Um, um, but there's a, there's a biological thing, like when the sheep turns over... The blood doesn't get to its legs, and it can't roll itself back over. It needs the shepherd. The sheep is not um, a very useful animal on its own or resourceful. Um, so that is why the, sheep, the shepherd has to seek after the lost sheep. The lost sheep isn't coming back on its own, not like a good dog or a pigeon or anything like that. They're not coming back. And the thing about makes sheep difficult to find is they look a lot like rocks, especially the dirty sheep. You know, we, we have this picturesque view of sheep. They look, they're white, and they're clean, and they're pristine, and they're pure. And the shepherd, of course, is perfect. He looks great. He's ripped. He's got well-kept hair and beard. But that's not what this life looks like, really. I mean, it doesn't look like that. Sheep are dirty. They're filthy. They stink. And dirty sheep look a lot like rocks. And there's a lot of rocks in the land of Judea, it's hard to find sheep. So there's much, especially when they lie down and are almost dead. Um, sorry, I've just been laughing about sheep all week. A lot of parallels to us, though, and sheep, is there not? Uh, so that's, those are the characters in the parable of the lost sheep. Who are, the, who are the characters in the lost coin? Well, we have the woman, and we have the coin. So what Jesus is doing, though, first, let me just introduce this point, is in saying that consider the shepherd, consider the woman, he's asking the crowd to say, imagine you being one of these people. Imagine you being the shepherd. Imagine you being the woman. The Pharisees obviously would not like to be the shepherd because they're unclean, right? Worse off, though, they would not want to be a woman, Okay? They, did not high, they did not value women in high esteem. Um, so Jesus takes it to another level when he asks them to be unclean shepherds and then says, how about this? How about consider you're a woman, a woman that's lost a coin? And the, the, the Pharisees must have been mortified at this point. that they, their mind, they were so concerned about the details of the law and being pure and holy in their mind that they wouldn't even want their mind to think about them being in those experiences because they would see themselves as polluting themselves. I mean, that, that's how warped their thinking was when Jesus is telling the story. 
And obviously that's why Jesus was using these examples. He's trying to humiliate them to some way, bring them down, lower them from their level of pride. That's his hope. So, that introduction to what the lost coin is. So the woman, the Pharisees would never want to be considered a woman. They would be insulted at this. Um, during the time of the Pharisees, the women were never taught the, the law, of God, uh, law of God at all. Um, they might have learned it from their husbands, but they were not, it wasn't an active ministry in the Pharisees to teach women. Um, so that is a horrific thing for the Pharisees to consider. But Jesus is also talking to another group right here, right? The tax collectors and the sinners and the outcasts of society. And needless, there might have even been some shepherds involved with that probably some women as well, and that must have been appealing to them because Jesus is talking to them. Um, The coin represents the sinner. I think we understand that. And the coin itself had real value to this woman who was looking for it. Um, This coin, a lot of times, if it is her dowry, the woman would wear it around her neck in some instances, or she would wear it in her hair, these coins, or she would wrap them up in a rag and create some sort of primitive purse. But it represented to her her security. It was what she had in case something was to happen to her husband. Or maybe even if it wasn't her dowry, maybe it just represented the, the savings that the family had. Maybe they were needing something or they kept these in case of an emergency. Maybe if something happened to all their sheep, they would have this money. So it represented security. But the one thing that's interesting is that Immediately after Jesus tells these stories, he says, he tells us, his, his, um, his whole point is to say, when these things are lost, sought, and found, and then celebrated upon their return, this is what it's like in the kingdom of heaven when a sinner comes to Christ. This is what it's like when a sinner is lost and found. So in reality, God, through Jesus, is not afraid to represent himself with the shepherds and with the woman who are not highly esteemed by the religious leaders. I think that's important for us to understand. And um, the Pharisees are up here in their ivory tower of works-based righteousness, and Jesus is operating on this level here, bringing sinners into repentance. So that is, those are the characters of the symbolism. I think, I don't even know where I am here on y'all's notes. Yeah, the characters and the symbolism. So let's get to the story and the ethics. Let's talk about the story of the lost sheep. So after introducing the, question, with the, introducing the story with the question in verses, verse 4, Jesus tells the rest of the story in verses 5 and 6. And when, this is the shepherd, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So the first thing the shepherd does when realizing that the sheep is lost is he leaves the 99 to find the one that is missing. The people that were listening to Jesus, both the Pharisees and the outcasts, would agree that since the shepherd, that the sheep represented something of value to the family that owned it, that it was important to go for him to go find it. It was something that was deeply loved. And the Pharisees in their pride and in their love of money, if you look at Luke 16, 14, Luke identifies the Pharisees. They would have been interested in finding the sheep too because they cared about money. And the sheep itself represented money 
So it's the right thing to go after that. If you look at Luke 16, 14, Luke says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. So they loved money. So of course, on, a, on one level, they agreed that the shepherd did the right thing by leaving the 99 to go get the one that had value, the other one that had value that had gone away. So he, finds the she- he leaves and finds the lost sheep. So we have the lost sheep. We have the shepherd seeking or doing the work of finding the sheep. So the first sheep is sought and then found in verse 5. Let's, let's look at how it's described of what happens when the shepherd finds the sheep. We never know. The sheep could have been lying down and almost dead. It doesn't tell us that. But what it does tell us is that when he found it, the shepherd laid it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Okay, so this is a sheep. This is not a wee little lamb. Um, it says sheep. Sheep are weigh between 70 and 100 pounds. And this shepherd goes and picks it up and puts it on his shoulders. I don't know. The last time I put 70, I don't know. You know what? That's been a long time. I put 70 pounds on my shoulder or 100 pounds on my shoulder. shoulder. The last thing I did was rejoice. Um, but there's something to say about that. The hard work wasn't necessarily finding the sheep. The hard work for the shepherd now was I have found this sheep that weighs 100 pounds and I'm carrying it on my back. So he takes it, puts the belly of the sheep on his neck, we assume, takes his legs, ties them together and holds them like this, right? And he's walking the sheep back home where he belongs. That's the hard work. And what's interesting is it doesn't say he went back to the flock that was still in the field. He went back to the village. So the sheep, the other 99 and the other shepherds have taken the sheep back to the sheep pen. He could have been doing this at night from what we understand. So pretty much it could have been a dangerous endeavor by the shepherd. Um, so, so there's heavy burden. There's a lot of, a lot of things your, your mind's probably thinking about um, and, repre- and uh, thinking about Jesus and in this work by the shepherd. But he does it rejoicing. Um, that, that is an interesting um, aspect of this. He didn't do it begrudgingly or frustrated or like yelling at the sheep about why he left. But then when he gets home, so we have the, the sheep is lost. We have the shepherd seeking after it, him sorting it, if that's a word. We have him finding it. And then fourthly, he gets home and he celebrates that he found the sheep. That's verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So once again, this is village life. These, the people in the village probably knew this shepherd. He's, he didn't come back with the other sheep or the other shepherds. And somebody's probably upset that he might have lost their sheep. So he comes back with the sheep. And there must have been not only rejoicing by him, because he's the one that initiates it, but much rejoicing within the city. So Everybody is probably in everybody's business in this village. You've got to think about that. Um, Everybody knew everybody intimately. It's not like they drove home from work and got into their, parked their car in their garage and didn't talk to their neighbors. They were intimately acquainted. And this was the news of the day, was that the sheep had been lost. So the shepherd comes home with the sheep, and there's a jubilant party that breaks out because of it. Um, It's the big news of the day. And at this point, the hearers of Jesus are absorbed in this story and they agree completely with what has happened to date, what has happened at this point. In the next verse, Jesus goes into his comparison of how this is like the kingdom of heaven. But we're going to pause and go to the parable of the lost coin. So hang tight. Hang tight with me. 
All right, so in the lost coin, what is the story, what is the ethic that Jesus is trying to display here? Um, Once again, in verse 8, that's the question that Jesus asks, but also describes within the question what the woman does to seek after the lost coin. Um, She lights a lamp and sweeps out the dust, or as much dust as she can, looking through every nook and cranny, looking for the lost coin. She urgently searched, she diligently sought after the coin this is just like the, sh- the shepherd did with the sheep in verse 4. It must be found. And just like the sheep has value, the coin has value. Everybody that's listening to Jesus understands that and agrees that this woman is doing the right thing. She responds, but when she finds it, in verse 9, so we have the lost coin, and in verse 9, when she finds it, um, she, she seeks after it when she's sweeping, then she finds it in verse 9, and then she celebrates in verse 9, second half. She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So again, in this instance, interesting, the words for her friends and her neighbors are all in the feminine, so she calls all her lady friends together to celebrate this. Most likely, the shepherd was celebrating with the guys, she's celebrating with the ladies. Very distinct groups at that time. Um, So what happens here, again, the the people that are hearing this story would completely agree that, hey, she stopped everything she was doing, whatever plan she had for the day, and she looked and searched diligently for this coin. So everybody's on the same page here, right? Jesus has told his two stories, and um, he's, he's identified that everybody agrees with the moral or ethical dilemma that was taking place, that you, when you lose something that has value, you should find it. It's the right thing. But then in verse 7 and in verse 10, he compares what this shepherd did and what this woman did to heaven and what God does in heaven. So let's read verse 7. So let's, find, let's identify the theology of verse in verse 7. But he says in verse 7, just so, so just like what the, the parable of the lost sheep said, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Repentance. So here comes the thrust of Jesus' teaching, and it culminates in this statement. And if, let's, let's think of ourselves in, as a Pharisee at this moment. Some of you, that might be really difficult. Some of us, it might not be difficult. Um, The Pharisees claimed to be God's official spokespeople. They were God's spokesmen in their their view. They were the ones that were carrying out and making sure the law of God was fulfilled. And at this point, though, God, Jesus is saying that just like this shepherd who went and found the lost sheep, God is rejoicing just like he did. He's throwing a party when the sinners who you don't associate with at all come to me. And the Pharisees must have been like, hmm, you would think they would be at least. And this was something that might have given great hope to the outcasts and the sinners that were listening to Jesus. So how, for the Pharisees, the question is, how, how does the shepherd have your respect for going after that lost sheep yet you grumble and complain that I associate and dine with sinners and tax collectors. Why don't you want to do that? Why don't you want to be a part of what brings joy to God? 
Because that's what it says, right? In verse 7, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So God's goal here is to save sinners, and when he does that, it brings him great joy. But the Pharisees were wrapped up in their superficiality. They were wrapped up in the trivial nature of the law and keeping it and not the big picture of what God was trying to do through Christ. So this statement that Jesus made exposed that the, sinner, that the Pharisees were far from the heart of God. God rejoices when sinners are found. There is joy in heaven. It's not limited to God. It's in all of heaven, but it's from God. It's God's joy that gives them joy to the angels who are rejoicing with God. And you see here, there's a place here for repentance. The sheep didn't repent. It doesn't repent when it was lost and found, but this is where it adds the human element that will get even more detailed in the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but there is a place here for repentance. Um, so who are, the Pharisees really represent the 99, right? Who need no repentance. They don't, it's not that Jesus is saying there are 99 people that don't really need to be, be repentant. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there are 99. You as the Pharisees represent the 99 that don't think that they need to repent, that are trusting in their own holy law-keeping, quote-unquote holy law-keeping, in order to be saved. Um, these, these, are the, these are the Pharisees identified by Luke 18. And that's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, and this is the Pharisee saying, thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector. Um, we don't have time to read that, but um, that they are identified by that. So the same theology, I think it's important that we put ourselves in the place of Jesus' audience and consider these things. Consider who, um, what the Pharisees were thinking at this moment. What were the sinners and the outcasts of society thinking? So the next, in, in the, just the lost coin, let's look at some of the theology there. If you look at verse 10, this is, once again, Jesus saying, just like, what, just like this woman searching for the lost coin, verse 10 says, just so, so he's, that's the comparative language, I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So not only is it God's joy and heaven's joy, but it's specifically the angels of God rejoice over this. Um, the angels were sharing in God's joy. And you can see this in uh, the depiction of heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. Um, and the angels were involved initially at celebrating Christ's birth. Another interesting part is Luke chapter 2, uh, the angels announce Jesus' birth to shepherds, to the lowly shepherd, shepherds who the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with. And the angels will be a part of Jesus' return in Matthew, as depicted in Matthew 25. The angels are everywhere in the plan of redemption, and they rejoice with God too. But the angel's joy is, comes from the fact that God rejoices when sinners come to Christ. So we have a theological element here, but to go deeper into the impact here, we have a couple minutes still, there's really a Christology at work here too, right? Um, in, the, in the message of the lost sheep, if we see the shepherd as Christ, um, we can see um, that the fact that Jesus is at work here, and he is looking, he looks a lot like the shepherd, and that's what John chapter 10 reveals to us. Um, 
In Matthew 9, 36, Jesus said that he felt burdened for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is coming. He comes to be the shepherd because the people that were in the places of authority had not done the proper work, obviously. But God in Christ bears the full burden of our restoration. So think about the symbolism here of the shepherd going and picking up the sheep and carrying the sheep off back to the village. Think of the representation of the symbolism there of Christ bearing the burden for us and carrying our shame and our punishment on his back so that we might be saved. That's the application here for us. This is not the application for them, but for us knowing the full view of the gospel, it helps us understand that. We know the whole story. We can see the atonement here in this parable, even if it's not spelled out. But Christ seeks the lost. Luke 19.10, his mission is to seek and to save the lost. And then John 10, the great shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you think of Isaiah 53 as well, in a great metaphor about Christ. What do we see in the lost coin about Christ? God in Christ is symbolized as this woman seeking the lost sinner in the filthy, sinful world. In each of these things, God in Christ is initiating the search for the sinner. God is the recoverer. He's recovering sinners. He pays a great price for that with Christ's sacrifice. So this this symbolizes Christ's coming and living in a sinful world and the woman searching through the dust-ridden house. So it's like this is the dirty, filthy, sinful world and the perfect holy Christ came. The coin in itself can't do anything to be found. It's even less able to do that than the sheep is. We need to realize, though, these stories have some limits. Since the sinner, there's not humans in here, and that's the point Jesus is making. He's kind of building up to this next story, which is the prodigal son, that we can relate to even more because it involves humans. Um... It's like he's priming the spiritual pump for the concluding parable in this discourse. There are additional layers to the salvation story that come in the following part of the text. The key here is to identify that the Pharisees were far from God's heart and that God rejoices when sinners are found. So I have a couple questions for you thinking about this. Um, Where is your joy today? This spells out in verse 7 and verse 10, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 that don't need repentance. In verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Is that where your joy is? Is your joy in seeing sinners come to Christ? Is your joy um, paralleled or along with God's joy? That's what brings God joy, is seeing sinners repent. Is that you? Is that me? Is the thing that causes you to rejoice or have joy in this life consistent with what brings all of heaven joy? Question. These questions are for me and you. How are you or how am I like the Pharisees? Do you associate with sinners for the purpose of being a part of God's rescue mission? Or do you not associate with sinners? Do you see or identify yourself with a great privilege that we have as Jesus' representatives to participate in something that brings God such joy? Questions for you. 
um, questions for me as well. But I think if we, this is the depth of these stories that Christ is telling, right? Yeah, it's great that the ethics is there. The guy goes and finds the sheep and the woman finds the coin. But the reality is, just like those things are being diligently searched after, God is diligently seeking after his own and he's rejoicing when they come to Christ. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we come before you, Lord, and Lord, there's some conviction in my life and my heart, Lord, that um, maybe, Lord, I don't pursue your joy. And Lord, I ask your forgiveness for that. And Lord, I, I pray that um, my heart's motivation and the heart's motivation for all of us here, Lord, would be to be pursuers of that which brings you joy, which is to see sinners saved, to see the lost recovered, Lord. Lord, I pray that that would be um, something that would propel us to more consistent, more intentional ministry. Lord, um, we need your help in that, so we pray that you would do that, Lord. We pray that you would use our spirit to convict, use your spirit to convict us, Lord, we pray that you would use your spirit to propel us and to motivate us by the truths of your word, Lord, to do great things for you. And Lord, what a great privilege it is, Lord, that you have chosen to use men and women as means to carry your gospel to the world. So I pray, Lord, that we would do that. I pray that we would be faithful. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be together today, Lord. May we commune together and may we have fellowship, Lord, that brings you glory. And may that fellowship that we have today and the preaching that we hear from your word, Lord, propel us into our work weeks so that we might be faithful to carry your word to a broken world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.